I like that we get to talk about these things and we hit it from a different angle, but because we love each other and because we have the same religious views, you know, church is the centerpiece of our lives. Worship is the centerpiece of our lives. Molly Hemingway speaking at the Issues Etc. Making the Case conference. So when we are just going back and forth on politics, it's really not that important relative to the things that do in, matter. And in all safe. seriousness, if you do not have someone in your life that you both completely trust and regularly engage in arguments with, you're doing it wrong. You can watch and listen to journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway's Q&A and all of the presentations from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a contribution of $300 by Labor Day. We'll send you links to download a podcast or watch a video stream. Order today at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. What are we saying when we say someone died of old age? We usually mean no apparent disease, something like that. But what do we really die from? And what is old age standing in for in that common aphorism? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us for part six of our series, Kids Have Questions. Today, relationships. We'll continue some of those questions, and then we'll get on to the subject of death and dying. Pastor Jonathan Connor, he's pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Todd. I'm glad to be here. We'll just kick it off with a, a question here. What is the church's definition of love and a human definition of love? Yeah, I love that our kids are asking this question. I mean, if, if we're paying attention to our world right now, in terms of words that are being so variously defined, love would certainly be one of those. And before I offer my answer to the child and some reflections on that, I often compare words to filled donuts. Now, I happen to love a good filled donut, but if you're like me, it does matter what's on the inside. So if you've ever been in that line before and you know, you can tell it that could be a filled donut, but you're not ready to commit because you don't want to bite in and it be, if it's like icing or cream, we're good. If it's jelly, eh, I'm not so into jelly and I don't want to pick it up and bite into it and then find out I've got a jelly donut I don't want. So my point is just like the filling matters for donuts, it matters for words. You know, what's on the inside? What's in that word? What does it mean? And so I love that uh, this child is trying to say to me and to the church, okay, so how does the church, how does the Bible fill that word love? And then how do people fill it? Because it does matter what's on the inside. So here's what I say to the child, then we'll reflect upon it for a little bit. First, outstanding question. Let's start with how sinful humans define love. We define it with the word consent. As long as people consent to a behavior, it must be good. So if two people consent to live together without marriage, it must be okay. So long as people agree on something, it's okay. But that's not how the Bible defines it. Consider what St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13. And I'm just going to read the text because I'm going to refer back to it in a minute. So I'll read the whole text here. This is from Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, 
you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So here's what Paul is saying. Love is summed up in the Ten Commandments. So love means honoring your parents. Love means being sexually pure. Love means respecting life from conception until natural death. Love means respecting property. Love is not about consent. It's about honoring what the Creator has called good. It's about giving your neighbor what you owe them. So, you owe your parents honor. You owe your classmates kindness. You owe your church your financial support. And to withhold these things is to withhold love. Love requires you to honor God and to die to yourself for the well-being of your neighbor. Okay, so that's where my answer ends. But I want to pick up on that word consent. This is a big word in our culture, right? If you ever were to read the Obergefell decision, I mean, that word pretty much is all over the place in that decision. Now, my point in speaking about this is not to disparage consent, but to point out that, look, two people or more than two people, they can consent to sin. So, I mean, consent cannot be the cornerstone on which we build love, or, or if you want to use the donut analogy, you can't fill it with the word consent because people can consent to sin. And Scripture does not build love on consent. It actually builds it, and you heard Paul say it, on obligation. So, this is important. The question is not whether you love your neighbor. The question is what that love requires of you. And that's a big difference because it means you owe something to your neighbor. So that's the language that Paul was using in that Romans 13 text. So he's saying love is about obligation before it's about consent. So it acknowledges the creational, vocational, and neighborly relationships in which God places us. And then he exhorts us to ask, what do I owe this person? Not what do I want to do with this person? So we've talked about this before, but here's what we're doing here. So we're trying to rightly situate ourselves in reality. So this is so huge for listeners. This is half the battle for all of life, just rightly situating ourselves in reality. So we are creatures, or another way of saying that, and maybe we're not used to thinking this way, but we are effects. We are effects. Like cause and effect, we are an effect. And we are morally bent. So leaving love in the hands of morally bent creatures, that's a terrible idea. I mean, it's kind of like saying, well, we'll just let my four or five-year-old fill that donut with whatever they want and I'll eat it. I would need it. You would need it because you know what they put in stuff. No way. So leaving love to morally bent creatures, it's not going to go well. Okay, so because we are creatures, so we are effects, we are an effect, and we're morally bent ones, what's that mean? It means we need to turn to our creator. What does he say about our relationships, right? So what's he say about love? He doesn't say, well, as long as you consent. No, he says, you stand in relationship with your neighbor and you are to love him or to love her. And then, this is what's great, God actually tells us what it looks like. He says, honor your father and your mother. Honor life. 
honor sex, honor property, honor reputation. That's love. Love is about what our creator says we owe our neighbor. Now, one more thing really quickly here. Just in case people are tempted to think, well, that doesn't sound like much fun. Okay, ask yourself this. And actually, I ask my confirmation kids this a lot, okay? Let's just all kind of do a thought experiment. Let's pretend that if everybody we knew, if they were to perfectly keep the Ten Commandments this week, the whole week, if everybody you knew kept the Ten Commandments for the whole week, so how would we assess that week? But we get to the end of the week and we would say, well, that wasn't a very fun week. Right? I asked my confirmation kids just for one day at school. I said, look, if everybody at school kept the Ten Commandments for the whole day, would you give it thumbs up or thumbs down? They always say, two thumbs up, that'd be the best day ever, right? So if we can do that thought experiment and realize, well, if we all were to keep the Ten Commandments, that'd be the best day or the best week ever, then surely we can't conclude that, that these commandments are meant to kill fun. I, I think they're actually meant to liberate it and to preserve it and to protect it. But back to our, our point though, love, okay? It's about giving our neighbor what we owe them and we learn what we owe our neighbor because God tells us what we owe our neighbor. So love is defined not by the creature, but by the creator. Or to go back to our donuts, and I'll finish with this, he gets to fill the donut. And as it turns out, he's a pretty good cook. So I'll trust him as a baker before myself. What do we do when someone is insulting your faith? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And we talked about this last time with some of our middle school and high school students. This is a hard place to be for a lot of our kids. And living a, a life that honors Christ and confessing him, it does kind of stick them out there and raise the likelihood that they could bear scorn for the name of Christ. And some of these kids have experienced this in very real ways. So this child is asking what I think is a very poignant question. Certainly adults, I think you can identify with this. If you have a workplace, maybe sometimes you have coworkers who are hostile to Christianity. So I think this is a question, whether we're a child or an adult, that certainly we can identify with. It's a little bit longer of an answer, but I really wanted to take time on this one for this child to help the child think through this question. So I answer, great question. First, don't be surprised. Jesus himself said, and this is from John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Second, consider yourself blessed for being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Scripture makes this point repeatedly. And this I'm going to quote from Acts chapter 5. When they had called in the apostles, sorry, when, when the, the authorities called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And from Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And from James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then third, live a life that honors Jesus. Peter writes, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And finally, pray that God would grant your persecutor repentance and faith in Jesus. So just for simplicity's sake, I'll just summarize what I said to the child. I think that will capture a pretty solid answer. But just to summarize, number one, if you're persecuted for confessing Christ, don't be surprised. Two, count yourself blessed. That may be harder to do than to say, I realize that. But really meditate on those words of Christ. He calls you blessed if we are persecuted for his name because we are privileged, privileged to bear his name. I mean, he put it on our shirt, if you will, use the shirt idea, like a family name on their shirt, Christ's name on our shirt. We are privileged to wear Christ's name, baptized into him. There is no greater name, no higher name. You're an inheritor of the kingdom of God, right? All the riches and the splendors of the glory of God, they're all yours. So wear that with joy and dignity. And if someone wants to deride you for that, let them, because you are blessed to bear that name. Third, honor Jesus. Honor Jesus. Don't go along with the cursing of Christ's name or the mocking of him through ungodly living. Don't go along. It's not worth it. That way is a way that leads to death and misery. It leads to bitterness. It leads to a very small life. Don't go along. And then we need to be praying for our persecutor. Pray that God would grant them repentance. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest for part six of our series, Kids Have Questions. On the subject of children, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade. They also offer online classes with student-teacher interaction for high school students worldwide. Find out more at flsplano.org. Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. On the other side, how do I encourage my parents to bring me to church every Sunday? Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. 
To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org slash life. He's the most Lutheran man in the world. I'm not always in Pensacola, Florida, but when I am, I attend Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Congregation of Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Pensacola, Florida invites you to join us for divine services on Sundays at 8 or 1030. Sunday school and Bible class at 915. Whether you're in Pensacola to enjoy the white sandy beaches of the Emerald Coast or for military training, we invite you to join us. Jesus is here. Word, water, bread and wine for you. Emmanuel, God with us. Stay Lutheran, my friends. The days are shortening and it's soon back to school. Ad Crucem has beautiful posters and art to adorn your home school or classroom and we print them right here in our Colorado workshop. Come and see our various prints by Cronach, Holbein, Bonat, Tintoretto and Caravaggio. Stock up on our daily prayer posters, creed posters and other beautiful Christ-focused artworks. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not only does our church need men right now, but the world needs men who will proclaim the gospel in its purity. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Peter Scare, Associate Professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If when you go to sleep at night you're thinking about it, my experience with it is this, is that thought won't go away. So if you're going to bed at night thinking about following our Lord and becoming a preacher of this gospel, then I would love if you could come and visit Fort Wayne, our campus. We'd love to show you around and show you what it is that we do. Have you ever considered becoming a pastor? Contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana at 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Christ-centered, cross-focused, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are dealing with some questions from some children in our series, Kids Have Questions, talking about relationships. A little bit later, we'll move on to the subject of death and dying. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. The next question, how do I encourage my parents to bring me to church every Sunday morning? I hope when people hear that question, I really hope they're hearing their child ask that question or their grandchild. I mean, I have a confirmation kid who's asking me, how do I get my parents to take me to church? And they're really in a difficult situation. They don't have their license. They can't drive. And for some of the kids, walking's not a possibility. It's too far away. Or in wintertime, if you're in Western Iowa, you don't want to walk very far in the wintertime. So these kids, they're really at the mercy of their parents. And I'll speak kindly, but bluntly. Sometimes parents... We just don't prioritize this. We need to think backwards. If we're going to go to church on Sunday morning, what time do we need to be up by? So if church is at nine, what time do you need to be up by? Seven, seven thirty? You know, have half hour to get ready, time to get to church. What is it? You figure it out. And then work backwards. How much sleep do I need so I won't oversleep my alarm? And then you figure out what time you have to be in bed. So yeah, it's gonna make a difference on your Saturday night. It can't not make a difference. If this is going to be a priority, and I'm going to expand upon this, this needs to be a priority. If it's going to be, we have to think backwards from, if I want to be at church at this time, work backwards. You do this all the time. If you go to work, 
we know we have to work backwards. So when kids have to be at school, we work backwards. What time do I have to be there? What time do I have to get up in order to make that happen? What time do I have to go to bed the night before to make sure I'm awake enough to make that happen? We do that in the rest of our life. We need to do it with worship. Our kids need this. But let me offer what I said to the child, and then we'll expand upon it. So I put with a smiley face next to it. I just said, well, ask them. And I did that on purpose because, and I'll read the rest of the answer in a second, but I, there's something powerful when a child asks that sort of question. Dad, mom, would you please take me to church? Now, dad and mom could say no, they might. But the simple act of asking them is pretty powerful. But I go on. But really, if this is important to you, and I pray that it is, ask them to make this happen for you. Tell them you really want to be in church. And if you ever need a ride, call the church and we will make sure you get there. But let me expand upon this now. Like I said, I have no desire to heap guilt on parents, but parents, we managed to get our children to ball practice on time and to dance practice on time and to speech practice on time and to band practice on time. We managed to do that. But it seems as if one of the areas that we really struggle with is getting them to worship and going with them. This is so important, and this is why. Because we need a change in the way we're thinking about worship. Oftentimes, I think parents kind of look at worship, and parents, if you're listening, maybe you kind of just ask the question, how have I been thinking about worship? Are you viewing this as just another to-do thing on your list for the week, something you need to or you're supposed to or you have to do? Okay, listen, if that's how you're thinking about church, I'm going to challenge you to think differently. Because church is not about what you are doing. That's not what it's about first. There's a part of what you're doing in there. But it's not a thing on your to-do list for the week. Church is the people that God gathers around his word. Now get this, to give, to give his gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. God is giving his gifts in worship. And I want to say to parents, do you want your kids to receive those gifts or not? And then I want to say just straight up to parents, do you want those gifts or not? I mean, think about all the other things we want for our kids. We want them to be on the team. We want them to do well academically. We want them to get ahead in life. But here's the thing. If that is crowding out the God of gifts, if it's crowding out the shaping of their souls for time and eternity, if it's crowding out this deep appreciation for their baptismal identity, here's my question, parents. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Let me share a lesson I learned not too long ago. So our oldest went off to college last year. So this is his second year. He just entered this fall, his second year. So this was last year entering our first year, first child going off to college. Parents, you've been there, you know that feeling. And I observed, he did not grow up quickly, but he did do it suddenly. And parents, what I want you to understand is what kind of dawned on me last year. Your children are only under your roof for a short time, and then they're gone. Not gone forever, but they will not be under your roof in the same way that they have been for that first 18 years. And you don't get do-overs. These years, they don't go by quickly, but they do go by suddenly. And I want to share something that 
my partner pastor had written a while back, and, and I'll share just a brief story about this. This is important. My partner pastor's name was Andrew Johnson. He was a wonderful pastor and friend of mine. He died of cancer in April. He was a young man, 32 years old, full of joy in Jesus with great energy and a great passion for the church and the gospel. Truly was a treasured friend of mine and my partner in ministry. Losing him has been very difficult for me and for our partner congregation 10 miles west of us. So just a shout out to my brothers and sisters at Trinity Lutheran in Manila, Iowa. We walk this road together. But I want to share something he wrote. And parents, I want you to hear this, okay? This is coming from a man on his deathbed and is reflecting back on what his parents did for him when he was a child. He says this, the greatest gift. Now, parents, did you hear that? He says, the greatest gift. You think, what's it going to be? Is it going to be the car he got at age 16? Is it going to be some birthday present? Is it going to be the sports teams they took him to or the music practices they took him to? What's it going to be, parents? What do you think he's going to say? The greatest gift his parents ever gave him, he says this, was getting my lazy rear end out of bed in order to attend Sunday school and worship. Every week we went and every week, whether I knew it or not, the hymns, liturgies, creeds, and Bible stories etched themselves into my soul. And you have to love what he's going to say next. He had such a way with words, and he was comical. And, and so he goes on and says this. I think we'll all appreciate it. He says, it was as if I'd been bitten by a radioactive spider, and my superpowers were to receive and comprehend God's truth. More than that, my parents equipped me to face the world to know what it means to ask forgiveness and to parcel it out among other things. But the passing down of the faith from my parents to me has equipped me to face the end. The hymns remind me that Jesus didn't just stay dead. He came back to life. The liturgies give me the opportunity to receive and give forgiveness. Paul's letters have reminded me over the last couple of days that I will not receive condemnation from Christ. Plus, the sufferings experienced now pale in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Those are powerful words. And parents, please hear what he said. He said what his parents did for him. The greatest gift they gave him was they took him to church every week. Todd, when I was a kid, my dad used to say, you go to church unless there's a funeral, preferably your own. <laughs> I didn't miss church very often as a kid, as it turns out. And I will echo what my partner, Pastor Johnson, said. It's the greatest gift my parents ever gave me. It's the gift I desire to give to my children. And it's the gift, parents, if I could have you take anything, get this. Take your children to church. I know how hard it is when you have little ones. We have six kids. My wife essentially functioned as a single parent because I'm the pastor. I'm up in the front. I can't be in the pew with her. So week in and week out, she goes to church with six kids, oftentimes when they were very little. And I know how hard it is to get things out of worship. But don't forget that they are in the presence of God's word, and it is shaping their souls for time and eternity. It is etching it into their souls. And that is what you want. And you're there in the presence of God, and God is giving them gifts, and you're shaping them, and he's shaping you too, parents. So if I could get parents to get anything, it's this. Go with your children. Take your children to church. I'll stop there. I would just go on for the rest of the day, Todd. 
Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. On the other side, we turn to the subject and to the questions regarding death and dying. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. LCMS Disaster Response is helping victims of the Maui wildfire in Hawaii learn how to support their efforts at lcms.org disaster. Helping the hurting amid disaster, LCMS Disaster Response, lcms.org slash disaster. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. The next question comes on the subject of death and dying. When my grandma was dying and sick, I kind of wanted it to be over because of waiting and seeing her like that hurt every day. I also wanted her to be with Papa, and I didn't want her to hurt anymore. Does this make me a bad person? I felt guilty about it after she passed. I love this child's question. It just gives you a real insight into what children are experiencing when they're losing a loved one. And adults, I suspect you've felt this thing, this feeling, this experience, you've had this experience before. If you've walked with someone in the dying process, there's so many emotions wrapped up in this. And sometimes our kids don't often say a lot, but they're journeying through it too. 
So I appreciate this child's question. I want to take a moment to reflect upon it. So here's what I said to the child. What a wonderful question. I know precisely how you feel. I have felt it many, many times as I have visited dying people. I felt it with your grandma too. So just pause for a second. I walked with her grandma through this process. So I know exactly what she's talking about. And I watched it take months for the dying process to reach its end. So I know what she's experiencing. I was there with the family. So I go on. So let me help you sort through this. On the one hand, we do not cheer for death. Death is our enemy. So we don't pray for death. Having said that, there are times when we realize that death is going to happen. But here's the thing. We're not really praying for death. What we're actually doing is asking God to release them from their suffering and to welcome them into his presence so they can rest and be refreshed while they joyfully look forward to the coming resurrection when they will live forever. So it's perfectly fine to ask God to show our loved ones mercy by bringing their suffering or their sickness to an end and welcoming them into his loving presence. So you're wanting your grandma to be released from her suffering so that she could be with Jesus and your papa doesn't make you a bad person at all. It makes you a loving granddaughter. Of course, if you could have had your way, you would have had your papa and grandmother alive with you. And that's the amazing promise we have in Jesus. So that's what we long for and pray for. So that's where I end. But what I want to point out, this is important, is we're not actually rooting for death. Now, it may feel that way, and you could tell the child felt that way. And this is why the child was struggling. This is why we struggle sometimes. But I think we need to point out what we're actually doing is praying for life. So take an example from the pastoral care companion, the commendation of the dying. Just as an aside here, for all our Lutheran listeners, this is not last rites, just so you're clear. Commendation of the dying is something different. So when we go to the bedside for someone who's dying, we commend them to the Lord. It's a beautiful liturgy where we commend them to the Lord. And this is one of the pieces of that, which I'm going to share. And I think it helps illustrate what I'm trying to say here. So we speak the person's name, And we say, go in peace. May God the Father who created you, may God the Son who redeemed you and saved you with his blood, may God the Holy Spirit who sanctified you in the water of holy baptism, receive you into the company of saints and angels to await the resurrection and live in the light of his glory forevermore. Now, I know you can't hear it when I'm speaking, but in that spoken line, there is the opportunity to make the sign of the cross over the individual, the same cross they received in their baptism to mark them as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. So we're making that sign of the cross over them. But look what was happening. We weren't praying for death. We were praying for them to be welcomed into heaven. And we're praying for the resurrection. We're praying for the individual to live forever in the light of God's glory. So I just think it's important that maybe we rethink what we're actually longing for. We're not rooting for or longing for death. We're rooting for and longing for, number one, a release from that suffering and being welcomed into the presence of Christ. Why? Because we yearn for reunion and we yearn for resurrection. We yearn for renewal. We yearn for all the promises of God to come true. That's what we're praying for. When death is inevitably coming, how do we deal with grief in a godly manner? 
Right. So this will be so complement what we just said. So let me answer the child question first, and then we'll expand upon it. So I say wonderful and thoughtful question. Let's start with this. Confess Christ. In other words, confess the promises of God in Jesus. Say them. Repeat them. Sing them. Pray them. Talk about them. Meditate on them. These promises are everything. They are the promise that death doesn't win, but Jesus wins and he brings life, eternal life that will triumph over death. Now, this does not mean that we don't grieve. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 says that we do not grieve as others do who have no hope. But he doesn't say that we don't grieve. Christians grieve, but we grieve in the sure and certain hope of the coming resurrection of the dead, the reunion of believers, and the renewal of the earth. Further, and this is important, we talk about our grief. We talk about our sorrow. We ask our questions. We acknowledge our struggles. We don't need to pretend to be strong. Instead, we acknowledge our weakness and turn to the God who raised Jesus and will raise us too. We don't have to be strong. God is strong. His promises are strong. That's where my answer ends. But I want to just, again, echo that last part. We don't have to be strong. This is so important. I see this so often. I hear people when they're grieving or they either say it themselves or people say it to them. I got to be strong. I got to be strong. And maybe you've said that before. Or people say, be strong, be strong. I get the sentiment. But I think it's robbing us from the God who is strong, from the promises of God that are strong. And it keeps us from focusing on these. Instead, it kind of turns us to focus on ourselves. So that's what I mean by confess Christ. Repeat the promises. Rehearse the promises. And this is why I'm so big on confessing the Apostles' Creed. If possible, every day, confess the creed. Sing the hymns. Even if you sing them badly, sing the hymns. Pray the Psalms. The deeper the reservoir that you trench now for you and for your kids, the better prepared you're going to be to draw from it when you need it. And you're going to need it at some point. Because here's my observation. This is not a profound observation. It's one we all should have observed. But death comes to us all. Death will come to you. It will come to me. It will come to our children. And death is no respecter of age or order. It doesn't care who's older. So, listeners, please, don't treat this like it's not real. As a pastor, I have been with far too many people who have had death butt in on their families in the most unexpected ways. My encouragement is trench the reservoir now. Rearrange whatever you have to rearrange in your life to do it, but do it. But remember this point. It's not about making yourself strong. This is about you rehearsing the strong promises of God. Finally, when people die from old age, what is that saying? I feel like something has to be wrong with them. About a minute or two. 
Yeah, I'll do my best to be quick. So I'll just start with the, the answer to the child. So I say, dying of old age is a figure of speech people use when we are unable to identify any specific disease or injury that has caused death. Having said that, the deeper issue that's being ignored is the true cause of death for all, all of us. That's sin. So the Bible says, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. That's Romans 5. This doesn't mean that any one particular sin causes any one particular person's death. It means sin, like a virus, infects us all and causes death. So this is why the forgiveness of sins is so important. This is why Jesus dying to bear the penalty for sin is so important. And this is why Jesus' resurrection is so important. It's the guarantee that Jesus is going to get rid of death forever when he returns. But to do that, he had to deal with the root cause of death, which is sin. And this is the great gospel news the church celebrates. Jesus has dealt with sin and overcome death. That's the wonderful news that we are eager to celebrate and to share. So just to be very brief here, the observation as I wrap up would be death signals a not rightness in creation, regardless of the person's age, okay? Death is not just a part of life. Death is an enemy of life and we hate death. Death does not become more acceptable the older we get. So the child's observation is quite profound. She died of old age. What are we saying? Well, theologically speaking, age doesn't cause death. Sin does. Old age inadvertently obfuscates the truth. It deflects attention away from the root cause, which is sin. So I know it may sound harsh to say she died because of sin, but number one, it's true. And number two, it opens the opportunity to confess Jesus, right? She died because of sin, and she's going to live because of Jesus. She's going to rise from the dead because of Jesus, because Jesus forgave her sin. So it may not be intentional, but to say that she died of old age doesn't actually help us confess Jesus. Because, and I'll close with this, Jesus didn't come to save us from old age. He came to save us from sin. Pastor Jonathan Connor is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, thank you. Thanks, Todd. It's This Week in Pop Christianity. When we return, we'll be talking about Katie Souza and her claims of time travel. Pastor Chris Roseborough of Fighting for the Faith will be our guest. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. Bahama Mama, Ocean Pacific, Paradise Island. Retreat from the heat with the shaved ice snow cone from Tropical Snow in Caseyville, Illinois. It's right across the street from Collinsville High School. 
Tropical snow is open daily from 1 to 9. Premium snow, epic flavors, lots of love. Tropical snow, across the street from Collinsville High School at 2134 South Morrison Avenue in Caseyville.